Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to Carefully Examining the Text. And today we study Psalm 39. Psalm 39. There are three themes that we want to see as we're reading through and discussing Psalm 39. These themes will be silence. This theme will hit us at the beginning of the psalm and will be mentioned a couple of other times. Also, the brevity of life. And then third, sin and suffering. So these three themes are what we want to look for as we work our way through Psalm 39. Now you notice in the heading that the psalm is described as a psalm of David, and it has the name Juddathan in the heading. Juddathan was a temple musician in the time of David. You see him mentioned in 1 Chronicles 16 and in 1 Chronicles 25 in verses 1 through 3. And he is mentioned in the heading of Psalm 62 and Psalm 77 as well. There are several connections between Psalm 39 and the last psalm we studied together, Psalm 38. And ultimately, these psalms were placed in the order they were for some purpose. But let's read the words. For the choir director, for Judathan, a psalm of David... I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is mere breath. Selah. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. Do not open my mouth, because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me, because of the opposition of your hand. I am perishing. With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all your fathers. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So this brief psalm begins by stressing that theme of silence that we mentioned Interestingly, he introduces his silence in verse 1 with the words, I said. He uses I said to introduce how he doesn't speak. 
He wants to carefully guard his ways and guard his tongue, lest he say something he shouldn't. He wants to muzzle his mouth, so that while the wicked are present, he will say nothing that he shouldn't. Remember how Job lost everything in Job 1 and Job 2. But the Bible tells us that through all this, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. In Job 1 verse 22 and in Job 2 verse 10. We will later in the psalm see that the psalmist is suffering, but he doesn't want to speak falsely of God or charge God in a wrong way, and so he guards his mouth as it were with a muzzle. It's interesting that in Psalm 141 verse 3, There God is asked to guard our mouth and our lips. We guard our mouth and lips, and we pray for God's help in that venture. But as David keeps his mouth quiet, particularly before those who are wicked, still his sorrow does not disappear. In verse 2, it only worsens. And in verse 3, my hot My heart is hot within me. Now, the word for hot is used in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 6. In that passage, Deuteronomy 19, verse 6, it describes the anger of one who has lost a near kinsman to death. And this shows us the great restraint he is exercising in keeping his lips closed because his sorrow is growing and his heart is burning. But it comes to a point where he must speak, and he speaks to God. And he speaks to God, beginning with verse 4. He emphasizes his silence in verses 1 through 3. Don't lose track of that theme because we'll see it resurface. But he also emphasizes the brevity of life. When he prays to God and he speaks to God, he says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Make me to know how brief, how short, how temporary and transient life is. In Psalm 89, in verse 47, Remember what my span of life is. The psalmist addresses these words to God, begging God to remember how brief and frail he is. But in Psalm 39, David is asking God to ever keep before the psalmist's mind, before David's mind, how brief life is. Life is a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes tomorrow. James 4 and verse 14. Jesus told the fool who thought he had many years, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you in Luke 12 and verse 20. Our lives are in God's hand and our lives are brief. Now, most of the verses of Psalm 39 have three lines. You notice this in Psalm 35. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreadth. Now, in Jeremiah 52, in verse 21, a handbreadth is the length 
of four fingers. It was one of the shortest measurements known to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. And he uses one of the shortest measurements known to these people to describe the length of his life. You have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is mere breath. Now the word for breath in verse 5 and in verse 11 is the word that's translated vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 1-2, Ecclesiastes 12-8, and it's used about 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Surely every man at his best is breath, Silah. Then in verse 6, this word is translated nothing, the same word for breath. He is emphasizing the shortness of life, the brevity of life, when he uses this term that is used so often in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Make me to know how transient I am. You have made my days as a handbreadth, my lifetime as nothing, and surely every man is breath. And man amasses his riches, verse 6 tells us, and he doesn't know who he will leave them to. We see this same thing stressed in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 8 through, or 18 through 23. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23. Much of Psalm 39 sounds like Ecclesiastes, and we're going to see some points later where it sounds like Job. He has emphasized his silence. He keeps his mouth closed because he doesn't want to speak falsely. He has emphasized the brevity of life. Now, both of these themes will reappear. But in the central verse of this psalm, he emphasizes that the Lord is his hope. The Lord is the one on whom he waits. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. God is his strength and his stay. God is his refuge. God is his hope. And there's no one else to whom he can look. But he deals with this theme of sin and suffering in verses 8 through 11. Deliver me from all my transgressions and make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. Again, he goes back to the theme of silence that we saw in verses 1 through 3. I have become mute. Do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. The word you is emphatic there. It is God who has acted. And so now he keeps silence, not because the wicked might hear, but because God has done as he pleased. And he is basically saying, as Eli did in 1 Samuel 3.18, It is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his sight. I have become mute. Do not open my mouth, because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me, because of the oppression of your hand. Verse 10. 
for I am perishing. With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Salah. The words that ended verse 5 in verse 11. Every man is a breath. The brevity of life. In verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my cry, and do not be silent at my tears. The theme of silence has been stressed in verses 1 through 3. He did not speak before his enemies, lest he speak the wrong thing. In verse 9, he will not speak, because God has done as he pleased. But while he has been silent except for pouring out his heart to God, in verse 12, he begs God not to be silent. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry, and do not be silent at my tears. Do not be silent to my tears. So he's begging God not to be silent. And this theme of the brevity of life, which we have seen in verses 4 through 6, and then in verse 11, every man is is simply breath. He comes back to it here in verse 12, and he states, I am a stranger and a sojourner like all my fathers. We are just passing through this world. We are strangers and sojourners in it. We are pilgrims in search of a city. As the Bible describes us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And he begs God in verse 13, Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. We stated before, that some of this psalm sounds like the book of Job. And Job says the same kind of things, at least in three points, in Job. And in Job 7, Job 7, in verse 19, in that verse, Job uh, states, Will you never turn your gaze away from me? nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle. He is just begging God, please leave me alone. In Job 10, in verse 20, Would he not let my few days alone withdraw from me that I may have cheer? And then in Job 14, in verse 6, you see the same kind of idea where Job says, Turn your gaze from me from him, from man, that he may rest until he fulfills his days like a hired man. Most psalms of sadness or individual lament, most of them end on a note of praise. Psalm 39 does not end on a note of praise. As a matter of fact, it ends on a very strange note as the psalmist simply begs God, to leave him alone. And the psalmist can be thankful that God didn't. Just like when Peter said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. In Luke 5 and verse 8, Jesus didn't depart. Jesus tells Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, 
you will catch men. So the psalm emphasizes the psalmist's silence before his enemies, but he begs God to speak. He emphasizes his brevity of life, and in the midst of his suffering and pain, he simply wishes that God would leave him alone. How does Jesus answer Psalm 39? How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 39? Well, all the references to silence could be viewed as references to Jesus who was silent before his accusers, Matthew 27, in verses 11 through 14. But Jesus' sorrow continues to rise even as he keeps silent, as we see in Psalm 39, verse 2. And you see a fulfillment of this in Matthew 26, verses 57, 37 and 38, as Jesus talked about the grief that consumed his soul in the garden. Jesus delivers us from all our transgressions. The psalmist desires to be delivered from his transgressions in verse 8. And indeed, Jesus does that. Jesus does that. He brings us salvation from our sins. And as we worry about the brevity of life, and we groan at the brevity of life, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 4, 14, verse 6. Jesus is the resurrection and life. John 11 and verse 25. Jesus gives an answer to the end of Psalm 39 where the writer simply says, I will be no more. Jesus promises us life and life more abundantly. Jesus says that there you will always be with the Lord. Jesus fulfills Psalm 39 in a deep and more powerful way. And he gives us treasures that neither moth nor rust can destroy. Did you notice in Psalm 39, 11, the reference to the moth destroying what is precious to man? And yet, Jesus can provide us treasures that a moth cannot take away. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Thank you for listening. We invite you to keep reading this psalm and keep benefiting from its insight. We hope what we've said helps you to that end. May the Lord bless you.